I thought a great deal about what I would say to you in these next three sessions. Because in my personal judgment, given what the Lord has called me to do, I think very little can get done in a conference. I think at most what could happen is that those who attend will leave a little bit more hungry for the Lord, a little bit more hungry for the experience of His church. Hopefully they will have met other people who have the same hunger. Maybe they'll get a bigger vision. Maybe they'll be liberated from a lot of religious bondage. I hope that was true this morning, that some of you have been you know, on the religious performance treadmill trying to do this, that, and the other to please God. You can know that it's only about one thing. It's about eating and partaking. Learn to do that and everything else takes care of itself. The church comes out of that. To give you an insight that maybe you didn't have before, and maybe to let the Lord deal with you on certain levels, but really, not much more beyond that. So what do you do, Frank? What is it that you spend most of your time doing? What I spend most of my time doing is sitting in a living room with a group of about 25 or 30 believers who have all said, we want to experience organic church life. We want to know how to meet under the headship of Christ. We want to know how to live by an indwelling Lord. We want to know how to function in a meeting and make Him visible. We want to know how to partake of the Lord and enter into this fellowship of the Godhead experientially. We want to know how. And so I'll spend, and it's not just me, it's the brothers I work with, we'll spend sometimes three days, four days, sometimes a week, and all we will do is learn practically how to know Christ together and how to express Him and display Him together. I cannot do that for you in a conference like this. Impossible. Again, as I said last time, this is an introduction. That's all it can be. It can't be anything other than that. I want to talk to you in this session about the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. And here's my statement. Church life doesn't work without the cross. It never has, it never will. Living with the saints in heaven will be glory. Living with the saints on earth is another story. (laughs) To dwell above with saints we love, tis grace and glory. To dwell below with saints we know, that's another story. And that's where the cross comes in. If you remember, I said it several times. Organic church life is the most glorious experience a Christian can know. It's what God created you for. But it doesn't work. never has worked. will never work unless you embrace the cross. Turn with me to um, 
Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Now, I have a lot to say about this subject, but I'm, I'm only going to give you uh, as, as much as I can. Luke 9:23. And he, Jesus, was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will save it. He who comes after me should pick up his cross every day, deny himself, meaning deny your basic nature, deny your preferences, deny your wishes and opinions, deny your disposition, deny your individualism, deny your independence, deny what you want in every situation and take up his cross and follow me daily. Now, when we talk about the cross, I'm not talking about the Lord's atoning death. As wonderful as that is, I believe that all of you, if you've been Christians any length of time, you've heard dozens and dozens of messages on that. You know what that is. I'm talking about the principle of the cross and all of its aspects This would include mortifying the deeds of the flesh, but also it includes denying your basic nature. Dying to yourself. I'll put it real simple. Losing. Surrendering. Yielding. Giving it up. And there's a lot of Christians I meet that have a very romantic idea of this thing called organic church. Oh, it's just wonderful. It's great. And where can I find it? Brother and sister, if you think this is easy, you're living out somewhere in the tulips. It is one of the most difficult, destructive to your self-life, your self-nature. Things that you can experience. It is a bloody, bloody walk. It is hard. It is difficult. The Lord had His own cross. It was very difficult for Him to handle it we see something in Gethsemane that we don't see anywhere else in the New Testament. That Jesus had a will contrary to His Father. Now, in every other place, His will is in concert with His Father. But when the shadow of the cross reached over to Jesus in that garden, and He was confronted with the cross, we discover that there were two wills moving in two different directions. But he resolved it because he said, Not my will, but your will. He was willing to lose. And he walked out of that garden denying himself and taking up his cross. And brothers and sisters, let me just say this to you. If you will have organic church life, the real thing now, I'm not talking about a once a week get together potluck or Bible study. I'll be honest with you. If you meet with a group of Christians once a week and you have a potluck and a Bible study or whatever it is you have, the cross sits at about zero. Just as much as it does when you 
file into a building, sit down, listen to a sermon, throw money in the offering plate, and walk out. It sits at about zero. You can be a perfect Christian during those two hours. If you can get your mind under control, all the sermons going or whatever, be a perfect Christian. But throw you together with a group of brothers and sisters as fallen as we all are and live a shared life together, then the cross of Jesus Christ is in the dead center of that community. Bidding you to die. And it's hard. And I'll tell you what, it's the reason why most house churches don't survive. It's the reason why there's a lot of pain and hurt that comes out of experiences where people try to do this, not knowing the cost. A lot of damaged souls, a lot of injured souls. And it's why people, many people, revert to post-church viewpoint. I don't want to get hurt anymore. Body life, organic church life that's authentic, is a railroad track to the cross. Most of you in this room are going to forget this message. I mean, it's just the way the cross is. It's the easiest thing in the world to forget. And we tend to be deaf to it because, I'll tell you what, the cross is so painful that when it comes to you, I've never had the cross come into my life where I said, oh yeah, that's exactly what I need. Oh. You scream bloody murder. And you have a choice. Either I'm going to die on that thing or I'm going to run away from it. Just like the twelve did when they saw the cross being propped up on that hill. You run away from it. But the thing is, if you really are the Lord's, you really can't run away from the cross. It will follow you. So yeah, you may leave this group of Christians because they're all messed up and they're difficult and I don't like them and just wait. You'll find it somewhere else. Being handed to you through someone else. See, in the church, in church life, God's people are very very liberal. They give out the cross freely to one another. And I'm being serious about that. It's not an intentional thing. It's a very mysterious thing the way this works. Is, is that God uses His own people to be instruments of the cross. You can't crucify yourself. You can get one nail put in one hand, but then the other one is free. So, guess what? That's where your brothers and sisters come in. And they will see to it that you die a slow, painful death. And I'm making this funny maybe, but you know, I'm, when it comes into your life and it's staring you in the face, it is not fun. It is the most difficult thing you'll ever experience. It is death to everything that you are. The Lord is out to destroy everything in your life except for Himself. Hallelujah. And I'm saying to you, it doesn't work without the cross. It doesn't work. This is why it doesn't work. In my country, Americans are very success motivated. And their metric for success is different than the Lord's metric for success. You know what the Lord's metric for success is? It's failure. 
It's losing. You will lose, you will lose, you will fall on your face, you will fail. And in that failure you will find the Lord's victory. If we are winning, Jesus Christ is not winning. He wins when we lose. And the most dangerous people in an experience of the church, the most dangerous people in an authentic experience of the church are people who have the strongest vision, the strongest desire to see it work. They are dangerous because they will push and push and push to make it work. And at the same time they're doing that, they are destroying God's people. And some people are so strong-willed, so bullheaded, so determined that they will split a church just to get their own agenda through. And the agenda may be correct. And I have news for all of you who may fit that bill. I, I have no idea, but we're all fallen people. We don't get it right. It takes a lot of time. It takes patience with the Lord's people, with one another. A lot of patience. We're talking about something that doesn't work. I mean, a group of fallen people meeting together without a clergy doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't. The brother without the accent, he said, I have... I'm a church planter. What did he say? He's an expert in failed churches or something? That's right. I'm the most successful failed church planter in England. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's so good. Because it doesn't work. It only comes through on the other side of the cross when you have penetrated that cross not once, twice, but numerous times. Your victory is found on the other side of failure. How many times at a house church conference have I heard somebody stand up and preach the cross in all of its death and blood and pain? I can't remember once. And yet it is the ingredient to making church life work. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says we find life on the other side of death. We carry in our body the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And death works in us so that life works in you. The gateway to life is through death. And if we're not willing to die, not willing to lose, lose what? Everything. Your ego, your opinion of what's right, your vision of the church. Well, wait a minute. My vision of the church is correct. I read one of your books. <laughs> Brother, you're dangerous. You're dangerous because in body life, it's not right or wrong. It's death. It's who will die, who will lose. That's when Christ wins. That's when He gains. That's when the church works. When we're all dragging crosses around the street, up and down, and we're losing and we're dying. I'm going to tell you something. My first experience of organic church life I was in my 20s, which is just a few years ago. But even so, I met together with a, with a group of believers, all of us very fallen, being more fallen than me, of course. And, uh, and by the way, that's what you think. Yeah, let me just say this. I'm going to hit pause here. I promise you that if you go this way, you will have a Christian in your life who you do not like at all. And I'll probably be you know, someone who lives very close to you, 
and you see a lot. I'll be more committed to the meetings than anybody else. And you don't like them. Promise you that. It'll happen someday. Trust me. And you'll make another observation. This is an observation I've been making after 21 years. Organic church life attracts serial Christians. Flakes, fruits, and nuts. They are in abundance in these kind of churches. The institutional church apparently doesn't have them well, because they kick them out, you know? And so here they are. They're in a group where you're trying to have this wonderful experience. Well, I met with these brothers and sisters for eight years. And let me tell you something. There were many times where I was so close to leaving. I mean, bailing out, pulling the ripcord and getting out of it. One time, I remember the Lord gave me a dream, and, and it was, I don't have many dreams that I attribute to the Lord, although I have many dreams, but not spiritual ones, and this one was dead on the money, it was clear. It was very close to leaving, I stayed. And, I, and I'll tell you something, I, um, I wanted the church to work. There were times it wasn't working. We went through two splits. It was 16 years crammed into 8 years. We experimented with just about everything that we can imagine. And I learned a little bit about the cross. There was a young man, he was older than me, who was in that fellowship. And boy, he was the the tailor-made cross for Frank Viola. You know, your Lord is a carpenter. He knows how to make the perfect cross to destroy you. It was so hard. But you know, after I came to the place where I was willing and ready to lose, you understand? He that loses his life will save it. Or I was ready to give up and say, okay, fine. Let him have it his way. I'm going to lose. Let him win. Then God began to gain a little more territory in my life. You will grow the most as a Christian when you're looking down from a cross. And if you try to delay that experience, all you're doing is you're delaying your transformation. And transformation takes a long time, saints. It's not one night. I mean, yes, there are experiences where you can get delivered from certain things right away like that. But I mean the transformation of your soul into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a long, hard, bloody, painful walk. It takes time. Pentecostalism withstanding takes time. And you will find it in spades in an organic expression of the church. I'll tell you something else. What you can expect when you're bearing the cross, you can expect this. No one will notice. Nobody's going to pin a medal on your chest for dying and losing so valiantly. No one will notice. No one's going to throw roses on your grave. The angels notice. He that loses his life will save it. Those of you who are the most gifted in this room are the most dangerous people to other Christians. Those who have the most light, the most insight, you're capable of destroying many Christians. Unless your ambition to minister, your need to be followed, your need to have people listen to your vision and follow it, your need to be right, 
is nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ and you lose, you are a menace to the kingdom of God. You're poison to the body of Christ. You will hurt people. You will hurt people. Now, hurting people is... It's going to happen. I don't care. Paul Parsons hurt people. Don't tell me he didn't hurt people when he went into a town where they're heathens who have been worshipping the gods of Rome and Greece, who have been attending all of the pagan festivals with their families, and Paul Tarsus walks in and says, all of those gods are not real. You're serving false gods. And by the way, Caesar is not the real king. There's another Caesar. His name is Jesus. He's a Jew. And he's still alive. And he rose again from the dead. The Romans put him to death. And he's the new Caesar. And bow your knee to Him. Give your life to Him. Put away your false gods. Don't tell me He didn't hurt people when some of those young kids gave their lives to the new Messiah and stopped going to the pagan festivals and put away their false gods and were not there for the holidays with their families and instead were meeting with this crazy bunch of other pagans who were worshipping this new Messiah. And oh, this Paul of Tarsus is a homewrecker. He took my kids away from me. He brought a different message. He doesn't worship with us anymore. He doesn't come to where we go and we worship the pagan gods in the holidays. We've lost our son. We've lost our daughter. Don't tell me he didn't hurt people. But that's different. And something happened in this room just now. Somebody who has hurt people has just justified themselves by saying, I'm doing what Paul Tarsus did. Brothers and sisters, you have to be willing to die. If God is going to use you in a way that He wants to, and I'm particularly talking about anybody who's truly called to raise up the house of God, to be in the Lord's work, to plant church of Jesus Christ, man you just don't know what awaits you get used to a lot of dying, get used to losing your reputation, get used to the most painful things will happen to you at the most vulnerable places in your life because God is trying to get you out of the way and so that when you minister it will be Christ as much as possible and you will hurt less people than you normally would have. The cross, brothers and sisters, you ask me, Frank, I want to have organic church life. I really want it. I've seen the vision. I've heard, I've heard messages. They've captivated me. I've read books. This is what I want. And my answer to you is, are you willing to die again and again and again? Are you willing to lose again and again and again? Are you willing to surrender Are you willing to yield? Are you willing to bear the cross? That's the real question. Because if you're not, my dear brothers and sisters, please, join a nice, comfortable, traditional church. Because if not, you are going to hurt other people. And you're going to be frustrated and you're going to live a long, miserable life. To be, quite frank, no pun intended. This is serious business. Let me give you a few impressions here. We hear a lot about Christ-likeness. We all want to be like Jesus. Christ-likeness stands on the other side of the cross. 
unless you've penetrated it numerous times it doesn't work it is on the other side of the cross and it requires going there again and again and again and again and this is the beauty of church life you know there's an Old Testament picture there's two actually remember the tabernacle of Moses well the first piece of furniture you come to before you enter into the actual house the actual building it's an altar you know what that is? it's a place of death sacrifice it's a big sign saying you only get into the house of God you only experience the house of God through death and then the temple itself the temple of Solomon and this is, this is riveting to me the stones that made up the temple were not held together by mortar they were held together by friction you know what that means? Each stone had to be cut and chiseled and sanded and polished. That's painful. But in order for each stone to be rightly fit together, I'm quoting Ephesians 2, properly fit together, built together, each one had to experience the cutting and the chiseling and the sanding of the cross. Well, guess what? You are living stones, so am I. And we are messed up people. I mean, the fall has damaged us greatly. But God in His mercy takes us, and if we're obedient and respond to Him, He puts us together with other living stones. And now He wants to build us together. I have those stones built together by friction. And that requires the cross. Let me give you a few real practical examples. There is the dictator. This is the person who is very controlling, very dominating personality, usually uh, very gifted, usually communicates very well, articulate, oftentimes is creative, gets people to follow him or her, and by the strength of their personality, they could direct a group of Christians to go in any direction they want. The dictator will end up hurting a lot of people. Because their own flesh, their own self-life is so powerful that they will end up using it to destroy without them realizing it. The dictator is usually a person that's so bent on having their way in the church that they don't care if they split it, fragment it, or injure other souls. They are also good at manipulation. If they can't get their way by the strength of their personality, they'll pull strings behind the scenes. Then there is the self-righteous, judgmental Christian. I only have one word to say about that person. I will describe them, but I only have one word to say. There is only one person in the universe that has the right to be self-righteous, and he isn't. The judgmental, self-righteous Christian is incapable of seeing their own flaws. They cannot be corrected. They are always right. They are a legalist. They have their own standards of what's proper conduct, they have their own standards of 
what is acceptable behavior and they push their own standards on everyone else. And they will kill organic church life because they will implement their own rules and regulations on the God's people and since they are self-righteous, they will judge the motives of other people. And by the way, saints, this is the most damaging thing you can do as a Christian. To me, this is the number one thing. And I think the New Testament bears this out. Jesus, you know, Jesus liked sinners. Mm-hmm. I mean, he hung out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the, uh, the drunkards and, and so forth. I mean, he, he was the friend of sinners. That's one of the things that got him in trouble. But he could not tolerate self-righteous, judgmental people, accusers. You know, your enemy is known as the accuser of the brethren. Do you know the word devil means slanderer? Anytime you hear that, you know the source. It's not God. Well, the self-righteous person is, they have a PhD at judging the motives of their brothers and sisters. They pretend that they know what's in their heart. And you know what they're doing? All they're doing is they're reading their own motives. They're reading what's in their own heart onto someone else. They don't realize they're doing that. And then you have the libertine Christian. Now this person is poison to a church that wants to move on in Jesus Christ. The libertine is the guy that says we're under grace, so it doesn't matter what we do. And I've watched people like this put a total and complete and abrupt halt and stalemate a group of Christians who are wanting to go further in Christ because it's inconvenient to that person and we're under grace and we don't have to do anything. Let's just sit around or hang out and watch movies. And somebody brings a challenging word to pursue Jesus Christ and to move in a different direction, maybe it's a different season of the church, they'll shut it down in a heartbeat because it's inconvenient to them. They will even call it legalistic when it's not. And so the libertine and the legalist don't really get along very well. You have the passive-aggressives who control with their passivity. If they're injured or hurt, they won't come to meetings. They'll enter into self-pity. They'll manipulate other people through their passivity. Then there's the person that is so afraid of somebody emerging to lead the group that his whole personality is characterized by the word don't. So say a church gets together and they're starting to plan something. Don't. Don't do it. Brother in the church recommends a a direction for the church. Don't. Don't what? Just don't. Doesn't matter. Don't. You can stop anything because you're so afraid of someone else leading the group. And then there's the intense brother, and this is the guy that never smiles and never laughs. And he believes the humor is of the devil. And that if you if you're funny or make a joke or you do something comical, you're ungodly, and there's people dying and going to hell, and how can you laugh? And he's so intense, and people get around him and they're on edge. And these are just some of the characters that um, every church gets at least one of each. <laughs> and, and others that I haven't mentioned. And, and you shake them together in a bag and it's popcorn. And, uh, and the antidote for each one of them is the cross of Jesus Christ. 
It is the cross. The domineering dominator, the dictator, has to die. And I'll, I'll give you a good remedy for that guy if, if that's you. And sometimes it's women. And that's even harder. If it's a sister, it's harder on the saints if it's a sister. It's very hard to correct a sister. I'm talking about for most people. Here's a piece of advice. If you're the dictator, then from right now on forward, yield to your brothers and sisters every single time they make a decision. Go their way. Say yes. And do it not just 10 times in a row. Not 20 times in a row. Do it 30 times in a row. And either you'll be in an insane asylum or the Lord will have gained a little bit of territory in your life and your brothers and sisters will believe that they've watched the parting of the Red Sea. (laughs) Watching you do that. And the the self-righteous, judgmental Christian, boy, if it's possible, the cross for that person is to admit they're wrong. And I don't mean admit they're wrong. Well, okay, I'm wrong, but you're wrong too. (laughs) No, I mean, I'm wrong. It's me. I'm the problem. I take blame. I'm not blaming anybody else. It's me. It's all me. You will have witnessed a miracle. You will have witnessed someone who's bearing the cross. Every single person. Let me tell you something else. This goes into dispositions. Dispositions. Some of us are very quiet internal people. And if it was up to us, we would set the direction of the church toward becoming Christian mystics. We'd all become, you know, very mystical and very inward and and then there are the extroverts, the emotional worshipers, and they would turn the whole church into Pentecostals. That's what they would want to do. They would try to do that. We need more worship. We need more. And then the thinkers, they will try to set the course of the church, everybody becoming theologians and studying theology and doctrines and the Bible, and we've got to have Bible study. And then there are the aesthetics. These are the artsy, craftsy people, and they would want to set the course of the church wherein everyone is painting sunsets and being nature kind of folks and doing artsy kind of stuff. And uh, young women who have small children, they want to make the church into a group that specializes in home life. And raising kids and raising family, and that's the center. And we want to specialize in that. And the people who are off in the nutrition, we've got to get everybody healthy. And let's start doing this program and this plan. Let's learn how to eat right and take vitamins and carrot juice and all that kind of stuff. And so every person has a certain disposition, and they will try to bend the church according to their disposition. And the antidote is the cross. Brother, sister, die to it. Lose. Let it go. And let me tell you something. The church doesn't specialize in anything. And I forgot the evangelist. And usually, usually, I'll make an observation here. I'll get back to my point. But people who come to Jesus Christ through a certain person or movement will be stamped with that particular emphasis the rest of their life. 
If I'm brought to the Lord by a group that's very evangelistic and their whole motive for living is to try to save the lost, there's a really good chance, there are exceptions of course, but a really good chance that for the rest of my life, my whole outlook is evangelistic. We've got to go out and reach the lost. They're all dying. They're going out. We've got to get out. If I'm brought uh, to the Lord by a group that's very mystical and inward and, and all about the interior of Christian life, then that's how I'm going to be cut out. That imprint is not going to leave me. Now, there are exceptions to this. But my point is this. The church doesn't specialize in anything except the Lord Jesus Christ. That is her only specialty. And all this other stuff, listen now, this is very important, comes in seasons. There will be a season, very natural, very organic, a season for... Outreach and evangelism. The season will pass. Now when that season comes, those of you who are bent on that, that's your time to jump in. And don't expect everyone to be as excited and zealous about it as you may be. And don't condemn them if they're not. And then another season will roll along to concentrate on home life perhaps. And so the church is focusing on that. Another season will be for the building of the body and we're going to learn how to fellowship with Christ in new ways, internal ways, and we're going to drench ourselves and saturate ourselves on this inward, in-building experience and that's your season. And then there'll be a season for the nutritionist and there'll be a season for Bible study and there'll be a season for spiritual warfare. Everything is done in season. You take them in season and when the season passes, a little bit of that season is left on the imprint of the church permanently. But brothers and sisters, wait until your season comes up and don't try to push your thing on all of God's people. You will destroy the group of Christians you're meeting with. Does that make any sense at all? Yes. I hate these, these either-or arguments that Christians in the house church movement have. Well, you know... We're all about evangelism. That's why we exist. We've got to get the law saved. Well, no, not really. We're here to know the Lord together. Well, you know what? It's not either or. It's, it's the season. What season is it? There's a season for inreach. There's a season for outreach. There's a season for prayer. Try to have a prayer meeting every week as a permanent thing. You will find that less and less people will attend those prayer meetings and it will fizzle out. Do you know why? Because there won't be any life in it for the long haul. Do you know why? Because the corporate prayer of the church is seasonal. It's a seasonal thing. You will find in the New Testament there were times where the church came together to pray together. I don't mean individuals now, folks. Don't hear me say, you know, stop praying for X number of months and take it down. I'm not talking about an individual. I'm talking about as a church to come together and do spiritual warfare. It's seasonal. If you try to do that all the time, you will burn out. And I would suggest to you that the Lord may not be telling you to do that. Maybe that's your background. Maybe that's your bent. Take it in season. The cross is the antidote to all of this. For church life to work, for body life to work, you will have to take your disposition, your basic nature, your bent to the cross and learn how to lose. And the people who are the most dangerous to this experience are the people who want it to work the most because oftentimes they're willing to push the hardest and not realize they're running over people to have it. I think I've said enough, but let me end with this point. 
if you want to experience the things that we've been talking about, you will have to have a rendezvous with the cross of Jesus Christ. And here's my closing word. Do business with your Lord and be willing to consider counting the cost. And if what I have said and the picture I've painted is too much for you and you're feeling like, you know what, I'm not ready for this, I've been hurt too much, I I can't do this, then brothers and sisters, just find yourself a nice, comfortable, traditional church or become a post-church person. But don't go this way because not only will you be miserable, but you will hurt other people. But on the other hand, for those of you who say yes, and get ready. It's going to be a bumpy ride. But as you lose, the Lord will gain. And that's how the house of God is built when there's death going on all over the place. I have said it many times. I'll say it again. Organic church life is a wedding of glory and gore. And sometimes it starts out with the gore and leads to the glory. And sometimes it's the glory. It leads us to the gore. But that's what it is. It's both. It's called death and resurrection. And there it is. And you heard me say it. And you'll probably forget it. But God willing, may the Lord hasten the day in this country where there will be a people who are willing to accept the cross. That's when you'll see your God work. Have I been blind? Have I been lost inside? by what my eyes have seen well, I've walked these streets in a spectacle of wealth and poverty in the diamond market the scarlet welcome carpet that they just rolled out for me In the madhouse, as silent they can be Where a wild and misfit prophet A traffic island stopped And he raved of saving me Have I been blind? Have I been lost inside? Myself and my own mind Hypnotized Mesmerized by what my eyes have seen. Have I been wrong? Have I been wise to shut my eyes and play along? Hypnotized, paralyzed by what my